Well, I hope you brought your Bibles with you today. And if you have, I invite your attention to the book of 1 Timothy. The book of 1 Timothy, chapter 3. Two verses of scripture that we're going to be looking at, or at least using it as a basis for the message today. is 1 Timothy, chapter 3, and verses 14 and 15. And the title of the message is A New Family. And this is another message in our series of looking and following the theme of new life. We're tracing the various uh, and examining the various ingredients that go into the making up of the Christian life. It all begins, of course, as you know, with the new birth. Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. As you were born of physical birth, you must also have a spiritual birth. So our walk with God and our spiritual life begins with what's called the new birth or being born again. From that, of course, comes also what we call a new confidence, which means that we have the security of our salvation. Uh, we're not perfect by any means outside of Christ, but the salvation that he has given to us is uh, secure. We will never lose our salvation. Then, of course, we have a new communication where we have uh, an open access to the Father through what is called prayer. So anytime during the day or night, you can call upon the Lord and he will answer. He will respond to you. And so we have a new communication with the Father that's called prayer. And then we have a new challenge. That challenge, of course, is that now that you are a Christian and you are alive in Christ, the devil is going to be after you. And he's going to throw one temptation after another. Those fiery darts will come in a steady rain upon your life. And so he hates you and he wants to destroy you as best he can and defeat you. And he's going to do it by throwing temptation after temptation after temptation. And so you have a challenge. You need to be dressed in the spiritual armor that the Lord provides. And then you have a new habit. And that new habit has to do with your quiet time with the Lord where you reserve a part of time every day that you can communicate with the Father and just set aside in a quiet place, a lonely place, a secluded place of just you and the Lord, uh, as the Bible calls, go to your closet and pray in private, and the Lord who sees you in private will reward you openly. And then, of course, you have a new guidebook, and that new guidebook, of course, is the Bible. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And so every day I'm to feast upon the word of the Lord and get instructions and directions on how I am to walk with God and to live out my life. And then there's a new freedom. As we looked at this last Sunday, talking about as a Christian, it's still possible for me to sin. Most likely every day something will happen. I will say something, think something, do something that I should not do as a child of God. As I said, it doesn't erase your salvation. It don't lose your salvation. It doesn't interfere with your uh, relationship, but it does have something to do with your fellowship with the Lord. It interrupts your fellowship with God. And as long as you have unconfessed sin in your life, the Lord will not answer and respond to your prayers. And so I need to make sure that... Uh, if there's something between myself and the Lord uh, that should not be there as a child of God, if I want to have and maintain a good fellowship with the Father, uh, then I must uh, keep up on, on my prayer life and confess whatever sins there may be in my life uh, that they may be removed so that nothing will interfere with my fellowship with God. Today we're going to be looking at a new family because when you become a Christian, when you trust Christ as your Lord and Savior, you become a member of the family of God. There are many metaphors in the Bible that describe the church, the body of Christ, the army of God, and so forth. 
but it also talks about the church as being uh, a, a family, a family of God. So we have a new family. You have new brothers and sisters in Christ when you trust the Lord as your Savior. Now I want you to look at, uh, invite your attention to 1 Timothy chapter 3. If you would please look at verses 14 and 15. Paul wrote, I am writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long, but in case I am delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. Now notice in verse 15, the words, the household of God. The word household can also be translated family. So we can just as easily read it and say that we are part of the family of God. Now this word household, which can be translated family, is used by Paul in other places of the scriptures. For example, in the book of Ephesians. In Ephesians 2.19, Paul wrote, So then, you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of the household of God. So you're fellow citizens with the saints and you are a part of the household or the family of God. Then in the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter six and verse 10, Paul went on to say, so then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Again, or the family of faith. So Paul is saying, as you have every opportunity, take advantage of every opportunity to do good to anybody and everybody, but especially to those who are of the family of God. And so I am to put other Christians first in my life before I do non-Christians. Why is that? Well, I remember recently when we were on the airplane on our, our vacation with the church group to Ireland. Anytime you get on an airplane to go somewhere, one of the things that they're going to do before you ever take off is that that uh, airline stewardess uh, is going to give you some instructions or be on video. And they say, in case of a problem, you know, you need some oxygen, uh, this mask is going to fall down from the roof that's above your head. And they say, first of all, first of all, put the mask on yourself. Well, what if you have a child at, at your right side or somebody that's elderly or whatever and can't do that for themselves? They said, first, put your own mask on. Once you get your own mask on, then you have oxygen. You can stay awake. You don't pass out and you can help you. We're not talking about hours here. We're talking about seconds, you know, just a second. It falls down, you put it on, and then you immediately turn to the person next to you that may need help and help them with their mask. So I think what Paul is saying is you need to do good to all people, but especially to those who are of the family of God. Start with the family of God and then help those who need help. Do good to all people but start with the family. In the church in Alexandria, Indiana, Bill and Gloria Gaither have been members there for a long time, active members. While there on a Saturday night or Saturday during the day, a young father who was an active member of their church was involved in an explosion in the place where he worked and was burned severely. The church family gathered to pray earnestly for his recovery. The next day, Sunday, 
happened to be Easter Sunday. It was Easter Sunday morning and those who had prayed all night learned that their friend was still alive and the possibility of his uh, improving and surviving had improved greatly. Prayers had been answered and now they were going to church to celebrate the resurrection of Christ. On their way home, before going to church that morning, Bill and Gloria Gaither talk about the family of believers and the love and concern that they had shown for their friend who had been injured in the explosion. When they got home, before they sat down to eat their breakfast, they got together and wrote the words and the music of a song. And by the time they sat down to eat their breakfast, the song was completed. You would notice we say brothers and sisters around here. It's because we are family and these folks are so near. When one has a heartache, we all share the tears and rejoice in each victory in the family that's so dear. From the door of an orphanage to the house of the king, no longer an outcast, a new song I sing. From rags unto riches, from the weak to the strong, I'm not worthy to be here, but praise God, I belong. And so I'm a glad to be a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by the blood, joint heirs with Jesus as we travel this sod, for I'm a part of the family, the family of God. So that's what I want to talk about today and share with you thoughts about what it means to be a member of this new family, the family of God. And in your bulletin, there's the outline, three major ideas that I want to develop this morning as we look at the message about being a new member of the new family. First of all, entering the family of God. Secondly, enjoying the family of God. And then thirdly, enlarging the family of God. So how do you enter the family of God? Will you enter the family of God or the church hold or household of God in a similar fashion as you do becoming a member of your physical family? How did you get to be a member of your family? Well, you had to have a mama and a daddy because you know, you just you know the stork doesn't bring you. They don't, your mom and dad didn't find you under a rock somewhere. They didn't buy you from aisle three over at Walmarts. Your mom and your dad got together and had a sexual relationship and your mother conceived and, and carried you for nine months of pregnancy and then you were born. You could not have been born without a mother and a father. No human being has ever been born into this world without a mother and a daddy. Whether they are married or not, it's just impossible for you, for any other way, for you to be born. You have to have a mama and you have to have a daddy. And what is true in the physical realm is also true in the spiritual realm. You need to have a spiritual father and a spiritual mother, if you please. And what I'm referring to those two things, father and mother spiritually, what I'm talking about is you cannot be saved without the Spirit of God and the Word of God. They are your spiritual parents for you to be born into the family of God. Go with me in your mind or at least into the scriptures to the third chapter of John's Gospel and the conversation between Nicodemus and our Lord. And Nicodemus went to Jesus and said, we know that you are, he called him rabbi, you, you are sent from God, you could not do the things that you're doing and teaching the things that you teach if the Lord had not sent you. Uh, Jesus didn't follow his, his line of thought. Uh, he immediately said to him, Nicodemus, you must be born again. 
If you're not born again, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And uh, Nicodemus said, well, what do you mean being born again? You mean I've got to go back in, re in reversal and, and, and be reconceived in my mother's womb and be born again physically and this, uh, start off with a fresh start with, with a new life? No, Jesus said, as you were born of the water and of the spirit, you must be born again. If you're not born of the spirit, you cannot even see the kingdom of God. So he's talking about a spiritual birth here, a spiritual birth that comes about through the Holy Spirit. The responsibility of the Holy Spirit, he has many responsibilities, but the main one for that individual that we refer to as the lost person, the non-Christian person, the Holy Spirit's primary responsibility to the lost person is to convince them and to convict them that they are lost, that they are sinners, and that they need to be saved, and that they cannot save themselves, and the only way that they can be saved is through repenting of sin, and embracing and receiving Jesus Christ in one's heart, and, and, and trusting him as his Lord and as his Savior. And that comes about through the convicting, convincing power of the Holy Spirit. In the 16th chapter of John's Gospel, this is what Jesus said. I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper who is the Holy Spirit will not come to you. But if I go away, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict, convince, convict, reprove the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. The primary responsibility of the Holy Spirit to the lost individual who's not a Christian is to convict them and to convince them that they need to be saved and that Jesus Christ is the only one who can do that. And that's the Holy Spirit's responsibility. Have you ever said or have you ever heard anyone say, I wish I had lived at the time that Jesus walked the earth? Would not have been wonderful to, to, to have been able to talk to Jesus in person, to see him perform miracles, uh, to spend some time in fellowship with him, and, and, and just, to, just, to, just to be with him here on the earth. That, that would be the most wonderful thing in all the world. Well, I want to tell you that there's something better than that. Listen again to what Jesus said. It is to your advantage that I go away. And if I go away, I'll send the Holy Spirit to you. So when you trusted Christ as your Savior, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, took up residence in your heart. So you don't have to have lived at the time of Jesus. You've got Jesus living in your heart right now. You are a child of God by virtue of the fact of your repentance and your trusting Christ and inviting him into your heart. And the Holy Spirit took up residence there and it came about through the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit of God is part of your spiritual birth. The other part is the Word of God. Not only the Spirit of God, but the Word of God. In 1 Peter 1.23, 1 Peter 1.23 says, For you have been born again, not of seed, which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living and abiding or enduring word of God. So the Holy Spirit takes, or the Spirit of God takes the word of God. And by the way, the word of God is Holy Spirit inspired. Remember, Paul said all scripture is given by inspiration of God. 
and profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God might be thoroughly equipped and furnished. So all the scriptures that are in this book, including the Old Testament as well as the New, are divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit. All scripture, not just a few, but all divinely inspired. The Holy Spirit breathed upon these various individuals uh, who, who recorded for, uh, for us the word of God. When we read it, this book is alive. This is a living book. This is not a dead book. If the Bible is dead to you, it's because you are dead to Christ. You're dead to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is alive. He breathed life into this word. When you read this book, it convicts you of your sin. And you are convinced who Jesus Christ is. Paul, uh, John says in the last chapters of, of his gospel, these things have been written that you may know that he is the son of God and that you can be saved by trusting him. Sometimes when you read the word of God, you, you read a verse of scripture and he says, well, that, that's me. You ever see yourself in the scriptures? It's because the book, the Bible is alive and, and it speaks to you. You see yourself, it's like holding up a mirror to your face as you got up this morning and combed your hair and brushed your teeth and put on your makeup. You look in the mirror, you see, you see what's there. And so when you pick up the word of God and you read it, you see yourself and it is alive. And you are saved as you trust Christ from the reading of the scriptures. Now, on the day of Pentecost, Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he stood up and he preached. And as a result of him preaching the word of the Lord, this is what the Bible says in Acts 2.37. Now, when they heard this, what? The word of the Lord, Peter preaching God's word. When they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts. The word prick could just mean stab or poked. It, the Holy Spirit just stabs your heart and convicts you of your sin. Acts 7, verse 54, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. The Holy Spirit then convicting and cutting and stabbing and you feel guilty and you ought to. That's the work of the Holy Spirit showing you that you need to be saved. Psalm, 17, uh, Psalm 19, verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. So you, you have that privilege of, of trusting Christ because of God's word. In 2 Timothy 3.15, Paul said to Timothy, from childhood, you have known the sacred scriptures, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So you read the word of the Lord, you believe it to be the word of the Lord, you accept it as the divinely inspired word of the Lord, you read there where it says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, and it says to repent of your sins, and based on the fact that you've repented of your sins, you're to be baptized, the Holy Spirit convicts you of all that, convinces you of all that, and comes into your life and transforms you, and you're born again. And it's how you enter the family of God. The miracle of the birth, the new birth takes place when the spirit of God applies the word of God to the mind and heart of the sinner or the unbeliever and this word generates faith. You're saved by grace through faith, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. All comes as a gift. So we are saved, born again into the family of God through the working, convicting power of the spirit and the convicting and convincing power of God's word. Once you enter the family of God, then you can enjoy 
being a part of the family of God. Our Heavenly Father richly supplies with great joy everything that you ever need in your Christian life. To look at some Christians, you would think that uh, they never suspect that the word uh, enjoy was ever in the Bible. It looks like they've been sucking on persimmon juice all their lives. You know, they just gloom and doom and, and uh, despair on end. Well, it is for some of those people, but when you come to know the Lord, there's joy there and there's gladness there. And you're glad to be a part of the family of God. And being a part of the family of God involves several things. First of all, you get to enjoy the family food. Man, you get to sit down at the table of the Lord and enjoy a full course meal of spiritual food that God gives to you. And that family food, of course, involves the word of the Lord, the word of God. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 5 and verse 14, the writer of Hebrews says, Solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. So God has a, a, a mature, full course meal that he wants to serve you now that you're a part of his family. And it begins with God's word. And God's word is described in the Bible in different ways. And when you look at the various ways that it's described, it, it forms a meal. For example, the Bible or the word of God is sometimes referred to as the bread of God. You remember when Jesus uh, was tempted by the devil in Matthew 4, 4, and the devil tried to tempt him uh, to uh, turn the stones into bread? And what is our Lord's response? A man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So just as bread gives nourishment to your physical body, the word of God gives nourishment to your soul. Job, you may recall, said in Job 23, 12, I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. He said, I'd rather go without a meal physically than to miss the word of God. I take God's word and I feast on it. I eat it, he said. You know, Jeremiah did the same thing. Jeremiah 15, 16 says, the words or your words, O Lord, were found and I ate them. Does that mean you take a page of the Bible and tear it out and, and eat it literally? No. It just means as you eat your physical food and you get strength and nourishment, you read the word of God, you feast on it, you take it into your heart, into your mind and your soul, and you receive spiritual nourishment and strength. It comes from the bread of God. But the Bible is not only called bread, it's also called milk. Because he tells us in the book of 1 Peter chapter 2 that as like newborn babies who crave to be fed with milk, also, he says, you are to desire the word of God that you might grow thereby. So along with just the bread, you've got to have something to wash the bread down. And so, of course, you got water, but, but milk, he says, the Bible is milk. And that's what a newborn child needs. When you became a Christian, you became an infant in Christ. You're not expected to understand all the deep things of God. Never will. But you certainly will never grow if you don't feast upon the word of the Lord. So you've got the Bible as the bread of God. And then you've got the Bible as the milk of God that you drink just like you're a newborn baby and crave it. You desire it. You're hungry for that as a newborn baby. And then not only is the Bible called the bread or the milk of God, it's also called meat. Meat. When Paul wrote the Christians at Corinth, he was greatly disturbed because they were still infants in their spiritual growth. They'd not developed or grown any. And he said in 1 Corinthians 3, 1 and 2, and I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual men, 
but as to men of the flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you're not able to receive it. Indeed, even now you're not yet able. And so to summarize it in, in uh, contemporary language, it was just saying you, you're, you, you're not developed enough that you could enjoy a full course meal. You're still sucking on a milk bottle. And you've been doing that for years. You've never grown in your spiritual life. Therefore, you'll never understand the deep things of God. You've got to grow and develop into where you can understand and seek the truth of God's word. So you've got the bread of God. You've got the milk of God. You've got the meat of the Lord. And then, you know, you've got to have some dessert with every meal. You just got to. And so it's true at the Bible. You remember what the psalmist said? More to be desired than gold, yea, than much gold, sweeter than honey and the honeycomb. The uh, New Living Translation translates the drippings of the honeycomb. It just, it just enriches everything that you eat. In Psalm 119, in verse 103, it says, How sweet are your words to my taste. Yes, sweeter than honey to my mouth. So you've got the word of God that's bread and milk and meat and honey, and you can just feast upon the meal that God provides for you. One of my favorite Old Testament stories has to do with David, King David, after Saul died, after Jonathan, uh, a man that he loved as he loved himself, died. Uh, David is now the king of Israel. Uh, he is his palace. Uh, he, he begins to ask the question, is there anybody left out of, out of King Saul's family to whom I can do favor to whom I can help because of my love for Saul's son, Jonathan, because of the bond that existed between myself and Jonathan. And one of the servants responds, yes, he says there is one survivor out of King Saul's family, and it is a man by the name of Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth. The Bible describes Mephibosheth as a lame individual. That is, he was crippled. And he became crippled because during all of the uprising and revolting, uh, revolting uh, against uh, uh, Saul, uh, the servant, the, the maid who was in charge of taking care of Mephibosheth, grabbed him uh, and quickly ran with him, stumbled and fell on him and, and damaged his, his legs. And he was crippled from the rest of his life. And so David said, bring Mephibosheth to me. Now, when Mephibosheth goes to him, he thinks he's going to be killed because in those days when you, when you conquered a, a kingdom, you got rid of everybody who would be a threat to you sitting on the throne. And so I'm thinking that maybe in his mind, Mephibosheth is saying, man, he's going to kill me. He's going to get rid of me. But when he gets there, David says to him, I know you're, and I'm putting these, paraphrasing this. This is all in 2 Samuel chapter 9. 2 Samuel chapter 9. And David says to Mephibosheth, I know you're crippled. So you don't have to worry about it. I'm going to give you back a portion of the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul. And I'm also going to assign servants to do the farming and the harvesting for you. You don't have to do anything. You can just enjoy life. And then he said to him, from this day forth, you will sit at the king's table. For the rest of his life, he ate his meals at the king's table table. Here, folks, is the king's table. And you can feast on it. 
any time of the day. You can get three full course meals and you can snack on it all during the day. You can get the spiritual nourishment and food for your soul when you sit at the king's table and feast and feast. Hallelujah. Amen. Well, some of you feel that way. So you got family food. You also have family fortune. My, you became heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ Jesus. Well, what kind of wealth does the Father share with you? Well, there's the riches of his grace. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, 7, so that in the ages to come, you might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness to those who are in Christ Jesus. Oh, the riches of God's grace adequately supplying every need that you have. Not only the riches of his grace, there's the riches of his mercy. Ephesians 2, 4, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. So God will shower you with grace. He will flood your life with mercy. Thirdly, the riches of his wisdom. You lack wisdom? James says, ask of God and it gives to all men liberally and upbraid the not and it shall be given to him. But if he asks, let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. A double-minded mind, mind is unstable in all of its ways. So you lack wisdom, you lack knowledge, you, you need wisdom to know in what kind of decisions or what decisions to make in certain situations. Ask God for it. He'll give you the wisdom and the knowledge that you need to live your life for him. And then there's the riches of his goodness. Romans 2, 4, or do you think lightly of the riches of his goodness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? God is good. And every gift, James says, that comes from above comes from the Father of lights in whom there is no variableness. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And everything God gives to you is good. It is good and it is rich. So God is the source of every good and perfect gift. We can trust him to give us what is right, the right way, and at the right time. So you have the family food, the family income or fortune, but then you have the family fellowship, the family fellowship, 1 John 1, 1 through 3. What was from the beginning, what we've heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And this life was manifested and we have seen and testified and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the father and was manifested to us. What we have seen, John says, and heard, we proclaim to you also so that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. What is John saying? He says, well, we're all together in this. And we are one great big fellowship. And we fellowship with one another. And we fellowship with God. So come and be a part of us. As children in God's family, we belong to each other and we need each other. The word fellowship means literally have something in common and the children of God have much in common. We share the same life, the same word, the same love for Christ, the same concern for the lost world, the same desire to glorify God. Fellowship means that we are concerned about one another. In fact, if you could get a concordance, big concordance, and look up the words one another, one, oh, any, one another, the words one another appear approximately 50 times in the New Testament. And it talks about having fellowship one with another. So love one another, depend on one another, be devoted to one another, honor one another, rejoice with one another, weep with one another, be of the same mind toward one another, 
not to judge one another, accept one another, salute one another, wait for one another, be kind to one another, and it just goes on and on and on, talking about our having everything together and we're all one part of the same body. There was a preacher who lived a long time ago, and in fact, back in the 1815, along in that period of time, he was a Baptist preacher. Uh, he didn't have much education. He was very poor. Uh, he was an orphan at the age of 12. And uh, he, he worked 14 hours a day as a teenager in a sweatshop. Uh, he learned to read by candlelight. But God called him to preach. And uh, he, he became the pastor of a small church in Waynesgate, England. Waynesgate, England. And he wrote a song. Because after he had served there for a period of time, uh, he had preached for a church in London in view of a call, and they called him. And so he decided that he would go and, and be, he'd leave that church at Waynesgate, and he would go to London. The day that um, uh, he was loading up the cart to take what few belongings he had, he and his wife and the children, to London, the people of this little village church gathered to tell him goodbye. And he started looking uh, in their eyes and, and he thought about the times that he had had to minister to them, how he had to comfort them in their time of need and, and, and conduct weddings and funerals and even the little children, he, he would sit on his knee and love on them. There was just a bond there uh, that, that welded him to them. He couldn't go to London he decided to stay put where he was. And he lived out the rest of his life for the next 40 plus years to stay at the church at Waynesgate, England. But out of that experience, he wrote a song. And this is what he wrote. Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. The fellowship of kindred minds is like to that above. Before our Father's throne, we pour out our ardent prayers, our fears, our hopes, our aims are one, our comforts and our cares. We share our mutual woes, our mutual burdens share, and often for each other's flows the sympathizing tear. When we asunder part, it gives us inward pain, but we shall still be joined in heart and hope to meet again. That song, don't sing it much these days, but when I was growing up as a kid, that was one of the songs that we often sang, especially at the time of the Lord's Supper, where bless the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. The fellowship of kindred minds is like to that above. So you're part of the family of God. Enjoy it. Finally, there is the enlargement of the family of God. God wants his family to grow. Every child of God is a witness. Did you know that? You say, well, I haven't ever sat down with anybody and opened the Bible. Well, you, you, you can, you should. But you are a witness. If you are a Christian, you are a witness. If you've ever had a saving relationship with Jesus, that's what you do when you, when you become a witness. When, if you had to go to the courthouse and sit in the witness stand and, and bear witness to something, they're not asking you for your opinion. What they want to know from you is what you have seen and what you have heard and what you have experienced. 
They don't want your opinion about it. Just share. What did you see? What did you hear? What did you experience? When you witness to somebody, that's what you do. You tell that person, this is what I have experienced. This is how I came to know Jesus as my Lord. This is what I see. I see Jesus to be the Son of God. I know that he is, and this is what happened to me. I repented of my sins, and I trusted Christ. Witnessing is simply telling other people what has happened to you. And the Holy Spirit empowers you to do that. Jesus said, and you shall receive power after that the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. God wants his family to grow. And the way his family grows is for us to bear witness to the saving knowledge of Christ to those who don't know him so that they can be born again and they can become a part of the family of God. We are gathered here this morning to worship God and to receive instructions and edification. And when we give the benediction and you leave after Sunday school and you go out from this place, you are being scattered throughout our community so that you can bear witness to the Lord Jesus Christ to those who are around you. The church gathered for worship is like a football team gathered in a huddle. When you go to see a football game or watch it on television and you see those guys gather in a little circle, what do you think they're talking about? They're not ordering pizza. They are receiving instructions as to what play they're going to run. And they break up. They get out of the huddle and they go to the line. The ball is snapped and they run the course. They run the grade. They do what they are called to do. We are huddling today here in this church building. We are receiving our instructions and the power to go forth from this place and scatter the good news of Christ to the rest of the world. Several years ago, in a little town called Milton, Pennsylvania, where it really gets cold and snowy, the rivers and the lakes freeze over. On this one particular occasion, a farmer had left his boat in the river and it had frozen and he was trying to get it unstuck so that he could pull it back up on the bank. He got out into the boat and a big hunk of ice came by and bumped the boat, knocking it loose with him still in it and threw them out into the current of the river and it was going on its way and there was a waterfall down at the end there that it was headed for. Those who had seen what had happened rushed. There was a bridge built over the river and they felt like if they could get to the bridge in time before he did, they could perhaps rescue him. When they got to the bridge, they had also brought with them some rope. And they didn't dangle just one rope over the edge of that bridge. Every two to three feet, somebody had put a rope over the bridge so that there were ropes stretched across that bridge all across the river because they didn't know where he was gonna come. Was he gonna come down the middle of the river? Was he going to come down over to the right side or the left side or some other place? If they had just put one rope in the water, he could have never been saved. By, by putting a rope here and a rope here and a rope here and all the way down across the bridge, wherever he came, he could reach up and grab hold of the rope and be saved. Now, folks, today as I preach here, I'm only dangling out one rope, one rope. You're going to have to supply the rest of them. You're going to have to put down a rope and a rope, and a rope, and a rope. When you go out from this place today, you're gonna to go see people that I'll never see. You're gonna to go to places that I'll never go. You're gonna see people to whom I can never witness, but you can, and you put out your rope, and you put out your witness, and you share to other people, and people will get saved. 
And they'll become a member of the family of God and they will enjoy the family food and the family fortune and the fellowship that we enjoy together as brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what God has called you to do, to be a witness for him. The church is a family. We're not a building. We're not an organization. We're not a club. This is not a place that you go to. Church is the family to which you belong. Did you know that the word membership is in the Bible? Members? For example, in Romans 12, 5, it says, In Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. So do you realize that this word member or membership is a Bible word? It is a Christian word? In all of my ministry, and I've been in the ministry for some 52 years, in all of my 52 years of ministry, I have never, I have never met a growing, glowing Christian who did not have a membership of a local church. Not just to get his name on a church roll, but to get actively involved in the life and hear the fellowship of the church and be a part of that fellowship. The Christian life is not only a commitment to Christ, but it's also a commitment to the local church, to the body of Christ, to the family of God. That's why we give an invitation. That's why we encourage you. Being a church member doesn't save you. Being a Christian, being a follower of Christ, trusting Jesus saves you and you become a member of the family of God. And when you join the church, you become a member of the local family of God. The word church in the Bible is used with two meanings. It is used in reference to what we call the universal church. And by the universal church, we mean that no matter where you are or who you are, what part of the world you may live in, you could be in China or in Spain or Europe or Ireland or where, where the United States, Canada, New uh, Old Mexico, where, wherever it is. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you've been born again and you've been saved, no matter where you are, you are a member of the family of God. You are part of the church of God. So it's a universal church. But more than any other way in the Bible, the word church is used in reference to a local congregation. You have the church at Rome, the church at Ephesus, the church at Thessalonica, uh, the, the church at Corinth, the seven churches of Asia Minor. So the word church is often used of a local congregation here in Nacogdoches, First Baptist Church, Fredonia Hill Baptist Church, Calvary Baptist Church, First Methodist Church, the Catholic Church, the Methodist Church, wherever. Wherever there is a local congregation of people who believe in Jesus and have been saved and born again, that makes a family of God. We are a part of the family of God. And if you have never become a part of a local congregation, a local family or household of God, now's the time for you to do so. And I don't know of a better place where you could join than right here and right now. So we're going to have a hymn of invitation and give you an opportunity to, to respond to the Lord's leadership in your life. You say that you're saved. Well, great. Welcome to the family of God. But are you a church member? Are you an active church member? I'm not saying just come down here and shake my hand and then forget about it. You know, we got enough dead wood on our church road. We don't need any more. We want you to be alive. We want you to be regular in attendance. We want you to be a part. You're not going to grow and glow for the Lord if you don't. You need to be not only a member of the family of God, but you need to be a local active member 
in this church or some church somewhere, if you, you don't want to be here, will you find you a church that loves Jesus and preaches the word and, and get baptized if you have it and be a part of it. Be a part of the family of God. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain and cleansed by the blood. Joint heirs with Jesus as I travel this side. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. Would you stand with me, please? And would you bow with me, please, for a moment? Holy Spirit of God, I pray now that uh, as we have shared as best we can and with your assistance, uh, the word of the Lord, how important it is for us to be born again. And if there's someone here today who's never experienced that, may they do so today. May they find you. May they find what it means to be relieved and free of all the guilt and shame of sin and what joy it is to know Christ and have fellowship with fellow believers. And so as we give this invitation, Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts. May your will be done in Christ glorified because of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Andre is going to lead us, and as God's Holy Spirit leads you to come forward, I'll be here at the front to receive you.